and welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. People often refer to my next guest as a renaissance man because he's involved in so many things. He's a doctor, but he's also a comedy writer, performer, director, author, producer, motivational speaker, and radio personality, not always in that order. Jeffrey Gurion is a former cosmetic dentist and clinical professor at New York University, where he taught and lectured for 12 years. He's also served on the board of the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy since 1999. I bet you didn't even know that existed. Jeffrey Gurion is one of only a few doctors with a long-standing career in comedy. He's a thought leader in well-being and author with eight books under his belt. He's the host of Comedy Matters TV, an internet channel that's home to his interviews with comedians like Jimmy Fallon, Chelsea Handler, Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, Jim Carrey, and so many, many more. Jeffrey's also the creator of The Happiness Show on Sirius XM Radio. He's got three books on it, and we're going to talk about how to use the mind and humor to promote physical healing the importance of mental health, and how important this is to all of us. Jeffrey Gurian is in my heart. Welcome, Jeffrey. (laughs) Thank you so much, Heather. I am so happy to be on with you. I can't tell you. You know, the very first happiness book I wrote uh, was called Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind. And I was so glad to see that your show is called In My Heart because that's where all the power comes from, you know? The heart... The heart is the, is the most powerful organ in the body. It's more than 10 times as powerful as the brain in terms of the energy that it puts out. And that's why I write about that, because we all have to protect our hearts. You know, our heart chakra is very, very sensitive. The reason that I wrote that book is because from the time we're children, we collect what I call heart wounds. Every time someone hurts us in some way, hurts our feelings, lies to us, breaks a promise, breaks up with you in a relationship, we carry that inside of us. And I refer to them as heart wounds. And they stay with us and they affect our self-esteem and our self-confidence. And they affect every decision you make in your life. Because every time you're called upon to make a decision, you think about what to do. You use your thoughts. Who else's thoughts can you use, right? But if some of your thoughts are faulty based on negative thoughts that other people have given you, like if you were ever bullied as a child, on some level, you can believe those mean things that people said to you. If you're carrying thoughts that are negative about yourself, then your decisions are not going to work out for you. And that's why people have the same recurring patterns in their life, the same bad job over and over again or the same bad relationship over and over again. And I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but when I oh, thought of your, when I thought of the title of your show, it just really spoke to me in my heart. That's what we're all about. And that's how you and I connected originally in that wonderful story that you tell. That's right. You were definitely in my heart and you saw me and you saw my heart and you saw the struggle I was having um, on the evening that we met and you took me in. You took me in and you comforted me and you gave me my power back. You gave me my confidence back because, you know, it's just a reminder that we can't really control other people at all, but we can control our reactions to those people and we can control the way we allow them to permeate us or not. Right. So 
Absolutely. Let's talk about your life early on because you knew at a very early age, I think it was around 12 years old, that you wanted to be a doctor, but you also had a love of comedy. I don't even know if it was comedy at 12, but it was wordsmithing and maybe it was pranking or goofy things. But tell us about how you started. And I want to also for you to reach into the fact that you stuttered as a child and that made you feel very outcasted and it broke your confidence. And as you've overcome it, you've also helped many other people overcome stuttering, but tell us a little bit about your early beginnings. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm always so glad to talk about that. I was a very sensitive child and I like to talk about that because people are afraid of their sensitivity, especially men, mm-hmm. men are challenged by their sensitivity and sensitivity is a great strength. If you can learn to own it as such, it's a great strength that feels like a weakness. And uh, at 12 years old, um, I, I must have been a really strange kid because it was important to me to decide what I wanted to be. And I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I was too sensitive to handle life and death uh, because If I even thought of one of my grandmothers living alone, I'd get tears in my eyes. I was just very, very sensitive, and my sensitivity overwhelmed me. And I was going to an orthodontist, and I said, you know what? I think I want to be a dentist because nobody dies in the dental chair. (laughs) God (laughs) willing. (laughs) Unless you're very unlucky. Yeah, maybe the... Maybe the nerve in your tooth dies, but not the whole person, you know? So, So I decided that I wanted to be a dentist. And I was already writing comedy. I was writing funny things, showing my friends and all. And I used to stay up at night and I would really be thinking, well, I want to be a dentist and I want to be in comedy, but you can't do both. Whoever heard of somebody doing both, you know, a dentist in show business, who knew that I would turn that into like a life thing, like a, you know, a whole thing. Um, But I never changed my mind. And I started stuttering at about seven or eight years old, maybe six or seven years old. And I stuttered through my 20s and beyond, well into my 30s. I was a doctor already, and I would be blocking on certain words. And I remember very clearly that when I went to college, I was only 16 when I was in college. I skipped a couple of grades, and I looked much younger than other people. And I was supposedly popular, okay? And I say it that way for a reason, because I never really felt it. In in high school, I was voted most talented because I played the piano and the drums. And in those days, in the yearbook, they had these like popularity contests, prettiest girl, handsomest guy, whatever. And it was a big, you know, a big popularity contest. So they named me most talented. So I get to college and I'm stuttering really badly. And I make myself run for the president of the freshman class. Now, it was a very big school. And it was one of the earliest times when I learned to confront my fears, which is another topic that I want to talk about. But I was never taught that the world was a safe place. My parents were very overprotective of me. And it was a big school that was fed in by seven high schools. I only knew the kids from my high school. And I couldn't say my name. And I told myself if I could win the election, I wouldn't have to stutter anymore because I had a feeling it had to do with how I felt about myself. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like people liked me. Anyway, I won the election. I was the president of the freshman class of Hunter College, and I still stuttered. And it was a great lesson to me because it taught me that outside validation doesn't work in life. It doesn't matter how many people tell you you're fantastic and wonderful and talented. It matters what you think of yourself. And that started my journey because I realized that I didn't stutter when I was alone. 
I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to other people. And I consider it grace, Heather. I was given the grace to figure out that you can't have a disability based on your location. If a man has a true disability, if a man has a limp, he limps in every room of his house. He can't go into the room and close the door and walk perfectly. But if I could speak better when I'm alone, then theoretically it means there's nothing wrong with me. Right. That's when I learned the power of thought that I took the next several years and I worked on myself very hard. I basically took my mind apart to examine my thoughts. It's very hard to examine your thoughts because we tend to believe all our thoughts, especially if you have some intelligence. But the interesting thing is you created every one of your thoughts and your thoughts are not necessarily based on your experience. They're based on your interpretation of your experience. So you could have two kids grow up in the same household, siblings who are completely different. And if you ask them about their childhood, you'd think they had different parents because (laughs) the way they experienced it is completely different. It's amazing to me. And so when I work with people, you know, as you can see, I no longer stutter. It took me years and I developed techniques of learning how to control my mind and take back the power. Because what you mentioned a few minutes ago I re-empowered you, is what you said. I gave you back your power. People try and take away our power. They try and and weaken us instead of strengthening us. I believe in the opposite. I believe that you should always strengthen people. And if you know something good about them, that you should tell them. Because too many people are out there trying to weaken us. So I win the election. I'm still stuttering. And I decide to work on myself. And as you can see, I develop techniques to control my mind, to release negativity. And the way I look at it, I had to take what must have been an inferiority complex and turn it into a superiority complex, not to feel better than other people, but just to feel even. Right. I had to realize that I was holding thoughts, negative thoughts about myself. I don't know where they came from, but somehow I got this this feeling about myself that I wasn't good enough and I held myself back to the point where when I was in school, if the teacher would call on me and I knew the answer, I would say, I don't know, because I didn't want the other kids to feel bad that I might be smarter than them. I would rather hold myself back and disadvantage myself. So self-sabotage is a big thing for people. Right. We tend to hold ourselves back very often. We do it to ourselves and we ruin opportunities because of fear, you know, fear of success and fear of failure are very close. Yes, so right. Even into my 30s, I, I had such a weird experience at dental school. And I'll tell you this brief story because it's very meaningful. I was tortured in dental school. When I, well, when I was accepted, I expected to be welcomed into the profession. Um, and instead, it turned into a four-year fraternity hazing. And I was banned from school. Literally, I was not allowed to see patients because I grew a mustache. And I had an advisor. And I don't know if that's, you know, I wish I had the, uh, I have a picture of me in dental school. My hair was so short. Yeah. (laughs) I had, I had a mustache and sideburns because that was. I saw that picture of you. You you did grow your hair long and we're going to get to your hair and your style. I I had to wear a wig, but that's a whole other story. So. So I was banned from school and I had an advisor take me out in the hall one day and he said to me, I want you to know you're a disgrace to the profession. They wanted me to drop out of school. 
And they did things like when you learn to give injections, you have to learn in the person's mouth. Right. I had a needle in someone's gum and I developed techniques of painless work. I had a very big practice when I was yes. in practice. I was a cosmetic specialist, but I'm a kid in school. I'm probably like 22, 23 years old. I'm learning to give an injection. I have the, the needle is actually in the patient's gum and an instructor comes by and hits my arm and says, put it in further like that. These days he would be arrested for assault. Right. Oh my God. But in those days, they got away with stuff like that. So much. And I was humiliated on a daily basis to the point where my mother had to buy me a wig so that they would let me back in school, a flat wig with a part, just, just pure stupidity. Decades later, about a year ago, I get an email from the school. The dean would like to meet with me. He wants to come to New York to meet with me. Now, he was not the dean when I went to the school, the new dean. He's been there about 10 years. And I thought that they were just contacting me because they wanted a donation because I never gave them a cent because I was so damaged by what they did to me. Mm -hmm. It took me years to develop the confidence to go and practice and take care of people, you know, because it's a big honor when people come to you as a doctor and they trust you with their care. And when you're belittled on a daily basis, it really affects your self-esteem. And there's lots of people who will be listening to this who could relate to this because there are people who pick on people. I don't know what that's about, but they do. So I had to work very hard to regain my power. And because I believe in confronting my uncomfortability, I accepted the dean's invitation to meet. And I looked at it as an opportunity. I said, you know what? I'm going to meet with this guy and I'm going to tell him what they did to me in school because I want them to know. So he came in with another dean. Two deans came to New York just to meet with me. And I didn't know. He said he had looked me up on the Internet and he was impressed with what he saw and he wanted to meet with me. It wasn't for a donation, but I brought my notes with me and pictures. And I started to tell him my story and he interrupted me and he said, I want you to know that those people who tortured you, they were racist and anti-Semites. And I said to him, thank you so much for saying that that I didn't have to say it because that was my feeling that they chose me. They picked on me. And he said, you were treated the worst. And I knew it. He goes, there were other people who were also treated, but you got it the worst. And he apologized on their behalf. And he said, I want you to know that we changed the whole atmosphere of the school. And he ended it by saying, can I give you a hug? I couldn't believe it. And I have pictures of me with these two deans, (laughs) these two very conservative looking deans of dental school and me in the middle. You can only imagine how funny it looks. And uh, and so they hired me to do a series of lectures to the doctors, which I did last year, a weekly series of lectures, he said, on changing frustration to hopeful and hate to love. And he even said to me, he said, can you ever imagine that the dean of the school that tortured you would be asking you to do this. I said, in my wildest dreams, I could never imagine that something like this would happen. It was a form of closure. And to be honest, I still remember the pains because of the heart wounds. They stay with you, but I won't let them affect me. I, I, I never let it stand in my way because then I would be giving them 
the power. The power, exactly. And then also the flip side of that, because so much is, you know, time, perspective, people and leadership positions, that sort of thing. Then after the dean contacted you again, your wounds could have some, I don't know, ability to like you own those wounds. He validated, that was the word I was looking for. He validated how bad you were treated. And so that you could then move on from a different level and you have a different understanding of Hunter College today because of different leadership teams. And now you're teaching there. One thing we all need to be taken care of is our gut. It impacts literally everything, your weight, your mood, your digestion, and Just Thrive Probiotic makes it easy. Because your gut houses up to 80% of your immune system, a healthy gut is truly the gateway to feeling your best. Just Thrive's breakthrough award-winning probiotic is the only product on the market that's proven to turn your gut into an antioxidant factory to maximize your immune, digestive, and total body health. Stress toxins and processed foods are wreaking havoc on our gut health. Just Thrive is an all-natural, extensively studied probiotic that's effective at controlling stomach issues like gas, constipation, and bloating. It's vegan, non-GMO, gluten, dairy, soy, and histamine-free. It can even support beautiful skin, better sleep, and easier weight management. Just Thrive Probiotic is perfect for the whole family. Get 15% off their award-winning probiotic when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code INMYHEART at checkout. For a limited time, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code INMYHEART at checkout. That's J-U-S-T-T-H-R-I-V-E health.com and use code INMYHEART at checkout for 15% off. Now back to my show. We got to talk about the turn from being able to own your practice, own who you were, own your techniques, be confident enough to serve the way that you did so many patients. Then you had to go after your dream of being a comedian. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, you guys remember, Jeffrey said, like, how could I do both? Well, not only did he do both, but he also received great accolades and a lot of attention for it because he was this amazing cosmetic dentist who had accolades and a reputation. And he was also writing for some of the big comedians in the day. Like uh, we're talking Jerry Lewis and Rodney Dangerfield and some of the earliest comedians that we've known. I mean, he went on to do SNL and work with, of course, uh, Lauren and, and Chris Farley, so many amazing comedians. So you were writing the jokes. So you were doing your dentistry and you were writing the jokes. But then there was another level of confidence that, Jeffrey, you needed to get to. And that was actually to take the stage. So can we talk about two things that you mentioned, turning love to hate, turning hate to love and turning fear into power? Because you are such a huge, to me, example of that. And you also, not only does he own his power, but you can recognize Jeffrey on the street from a mile away. Style has always been very important to him. And he's got hair that's like, you know, that stands out. He's always got his hair products in and his hair is larger than life and wonderful. And he says that when you're a little different than people, they tend to remember you. So that is not someone who has lacking confidence, right? So (laughs) take us through some of that because I want to get into your writings and your book on happiness your books on happiness. 
Thanks. You know, it's so funny that you said that. I walked into America's Got Talent and there was a comedian warming up the stage. Now, Radio City is a huge room. And I walk in from the back and the comedian shouts me out from the stage. He's like, Jeffrey Gurian is here. And um, I said to him afterwards, how did you see me? He goes, what are you kidding? Who can miss you? (laughs) (laughs) All the way from the stage. I couldn't believe it. It was it was crazy. So I decided that I needed to create my own persona. Everyone has to be who they are. I hate stereotypes, first of all. They're very boring. I hate when you could look at someone and think you know all about them just by seeing them. Mm -hmm. I think you should look the way you want and do what you need to do, right? And so I never looked like a doctor, which I think it's one of the reasons that I used to stutter on the words that started with D. Mm. That really has meaning. And I found that through my work with stutters. I now, as an avocation, I work with stutterers all over the world. Yeah, it's amazing. And I just want to say that I I built a website, if anyone is listening who needs that information, it's called StopStutteringNowGurian.com, G-U-R-I-A-N, StopStutteringNowGurian.com. It's got all the information. It's got testimonials of people that I worked with. When I was in practice, My nurse had strict instructions, never interrupt me when I'm with a patient unless it's for show business. So so she would call me and she'd say, you know, Dr. Burl is on the phone. Milton Burl was my sponsor in the Friars Club, which was a huge honor. Probably a lot of people watching, young people may not even know who he was, but he was Mr. Television, one of the most famous comedians of all time. Joan Rivers, I was her personal writer, and she would call me, and she didn't know what I did. Her, her, she called me one morning from Las Vegas. My nurse goes, Dr. Rivers is on the phone. <laughs> the only one no one believed was Dr. Dangerfield. That they could, <laughs> I, couldn't get, I couldn't get away with that one. So she you get any me, respect. Come on. <laughs> so I get on the phone with Joan and she goes, what do you do during the day? And I'm like, I work. She goes, well, obviously you work. What is it that you do? And she said, why didn't you ever tell me? And I said, because no one hires you in show business because you're a dentist. They hire you in spite of the fact. It's not exactly a prerequisite that you have to go to dental school to be in show business. But that's how I met Billy Crystal. And he's in my book with Chris Rock. Uh, with a picture of him pointing to his teeth because his manager, Jack Rollins, wanted him to play me in a sitcom. And at the time, he was managing Woody Allen and Robin Williams and Billy Crystal, and he invited me to his office to meet them. And that's how I know Billy all these years. So that that was a crazy story. But I didn't have the courage to start performing in those days. Right. And I had to fight my fear. And I had to use more mental power in order to achieve each of these things, because each one of them I met with fear. If you start performing comedy in your 20s and nobody knows you, you have the freedom to bomb. And that's how you get better. But by the time I wanted to start performing, too many people knew me in the industry because I had written for these big stars and I felt a lot of pressure. It's like being the brother of someone who's very famous or something and you want to come out and perform. So, so... I had to do this thing where I had to tell myself, listen, if you really think you're funny, there's only one way to know. You either have to go out and do it or you're going to regret it for your whole life. And the alternative is not okay with me. I can't, I can't handle the fact that there's something I want to do that my fear stops me because fear is a bully. And fear wants you to stay home with the covers over your head and not do anything, which was... My second happiness book called Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. 
And I wrote that book after I recovered from a heart attack. I had a widow make a heart attack in 2016. That came out of nowhere. I had never been sick a day in my life. I was out partying with the Sirius XM people the night before. And the next day, I get this weird pain in my chest. And I thought it was from working out. And I was rubbing it. And it was feeling better. And I was like, you can't rub away a heart attack. And the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital. And they tell me I had a widowmaker heart attack. And I was joking with the surgeon on the operating table because I wasn't fully asleep when they were trying to unplug my heart. And I felt it. And I said to the surgeon, I said, I feel you in my heart, not in a romantic way. <laughs> I feel you in my heart. Everything's about heart with us, right? Yes. And he said, I'll give you more anesthetic. And he came to my room later in that day, around five o'clock, and he hugged me. And he said, I want you to know you're a miracle. And I said, no, you're the miracle. You're the guy who saved me, you know? And so, again, I had to stay very positive. Positive thinking is very important in terms of recovery, because when you're in a negative state, your immune system is not functioning as well. And if you can fight to stay positive, which I try to do all the time, yeah. you're able to fight things off better. I had to do it with COVID double pneumonia. I was in the hospital, March, 2020, the virus comes out. I get it immediately because you know me, I'm a trendsetter. Yeah. I, wanted it, I wanted to get it right away, you know, and I wound up in the hospital and they put me in bed next to a guy from Wuhan, China. That can't even happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, but it, those kind of things happen to me all the time. I'm laying yeah. in next to patient zero, right? So finally, I got the nerve to go on stage. I, I had to do it in my head. I had to say, so many millions of people go on stage to perform. If they can do it, you can do it, you know? That kind of thinking led me to make a solo trip to Japan just before the pandemic. I constantly challenge myself to do everything that I'm afraid to do that other people seem to do comfortably. I had always wanted to go to Japan. I'm not sure why. I have a fascination with Asian culture. And I, I had a friend who's married to a Japanese woman. And two years in a row, he had to cancel on me to go to Japan with me. And every year I signed up at the Japan Society and I studied level one in Japanese. Okay, After the second you. time, I said, I'm going by myself. I'm not going to let anybody hold me back and take away my power that way. So I don't think I could do it again today, but I made reservations to go to Japan alone. It was the scariest thing I could think of to do. And I went for two weeks, a 14 hour flight. I had an amazing time and it was the greatest challenge that I ever gave myself. And if Aside anyone has study. never been to Japan, because I have been to Japan, you know, you think a lot of Japanese people speak English and stuff. But when you get yeah. to the city, everything is in Japanese. No one speaks English. No, only in the hotels. Yeah. Only in the hotels. Tokyo. I mean, I love the city. I love Japan. It's incredible. What I would call it like a cold city. It's not like welcoming and warming. It's it's almost so intimidating. So but there's to be a big a, split, though, because the people are so quiet and conservative. And but beautiful. it's like walking in Times Square. Totally. It's crazy, right? Please yes. continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, I think that's what's so fantastic about your work as an author is that you have taken your own experiences and your own um, self-sabotaging, you know, your own uh, short, you know, not feeling so confident about yourself. And you've, you've really taught people how to use the mind and humor to promote physical healing. 
you know, and, and let's talk about that and the importance of, of, of mental health today, because right now, gosh, Jeffrey, there's just so much anxiety and worry about our world and our kids yeah. and our health and our lives. And so when I thought about having you on the podcast, like the time was, I, I could talk to you for 17 hours and we're going to have you back because <laughs> you're just so incredible and you're so full of love. You're so full of warmth and love and uh, no shame, no shame at all for all the things that you've been through. You embrace all of your idiosyncrasies like they're your little family. And <laughs> so with all of that, I just wanted to for you to share with our listeners some of your favorite happiness tips or suggestions to help people really move forward. And of course, we're going to talk all about your books. And then I want to get into your documentary, your short, because everybody has to watch it to understand more about who you are and what you've overcome and what you've achieved. So right now with so much anxiety and worry about our world and our kids and our health, can you talk to, as we're re-entering, what are some of the tips, uh, reminders that you can share with people? Absolutely. A lot of it has to do with spirituality. And I'm so glad that you asked that thing. In 1999, I became aware of a group called the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy. And I was fascinated by their work. They're, they're training psychotherapists to come from a spiritual point of view. And I presented them with my work. When I was teaching at NYU, I developed something that I call STAR therapy, S-T-A-R. And it's an acronym that stands for Spiritual Transformational Affirmative Resonance Therapy. The resonance refers to my voice because I speak while I do it. It's kind of like a guided meditation. It also refers to music. I, this is another crazy story. I use music for 20 years. I'm using music by Stephen Halpern. He's considered the father of new age music. Never met the man. In October, I get a, 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 a voicemail message on my phone that says, I'm calling you in reference to a letter that you wrote to me 20 years ago. Wow. It's Stephen Halpern. Mm -hmm. I guess I wrote to him 20 years ago to tell him I was using his music. He never saw the letter until now. He's working on his memoirs. He's a Grammy-nominated musician, and he finds my letter, and he contacts me, and he just put music to my words. He said, I was so moved by your letter that I want to do a project with you, and I want you to send me a guided meditation that you use and I'll put music to it and it's out. I'll send it to you when you we're all. You better. Oh my God, because Chopin is not going to make any music for your guided meditation. So I'm ready yeah. for this. But Jeffrey's a very talented pianist and, and that's one of his favorite um, songs, I think. Exactly, exactly. But this was so amazing that that happened. So, so I approach the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy and I tell them that I'm working at NYU and I take away migraine headaches with my hands. And that when you're treating people who are depressed or have emotional illness, which so many people have from these last two years of the pandemic, I said that a lot of people who are in, emo in emotional distress are clenching and grinding their teeth, mm -hmm. diagnosing the symptoms of that. Because if you wake up in the morning and your neck hurts, which is one of the main symptoms, you wake up with a stiff neck, the last person in the world you would ever think to tell would be your dentist. Why would you ever tell your dentist that your neck hurts? So it goes undiagnosed. They don't say, if they tell their doctor, the doctor says, well, maybe you slept funny, you're in, uh, you, 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 you spend too much time at the gym. But most physicians are not aware of the symptoms of TMJ dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And that was my specialty. 
So I said, I think it's important for you psychotherapists to know what you're facing when you're dealing with depressed people, because you can't only write people a prescription and you can't only work with them in therapy. There's a body, mind, spirit approach. You have to also treat the other illness. And they accepted my work and they made me part of the board. So I was the only non-classically trained psychotherapist. And I used to lecture... The idea of it, just to interrupt for a second, is incredible because I used to always say, I I still say to my psychotherapist, I always say, I wish that you, like considering him like Freudian, right? I I wish that you and Buddha, like Freud and Buddha could have a baby Mm -hmm. because that's what the world needs to heal. It needs to understand the science behind it, but understand the spirituality behind it. Absolutely. It's so powerful. And so and and I do also want to explain the difference between spirituality and religion, because a lot of people don't understand that and they confuse the two. Religion can be wonderful for people, but it automatically puts you in a category that other people are outside of if they're not sharing your religion. Spirituality brings us all together because all it asks is that you believe in a force greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. And you could call it nature, the universe, God, whatever is comfortable for you. I'm comfortable calling it God. I have a lot of proof in many different ways how it's impacted my life. And so, you know, a spiritual approach to things is very important to realize that that's your path. When I was laying in the hospital with COVID double pneumonia, They put me in the emergency room next to a woman who was screaming, literally screaming with every breath. I was so sick. My blood pressure, you know, it's usually 120 over 80. My 80 had dropped to 42. So my circulatory system was collapsing. Nobody knew until they x-rayed my lungs what was wrong with me. And there's a tendency when you're in that situation to say, why me? Why is this happening to me? Right? But the spiritual approach is why not me? Whoever promised me that my life was supposed to be perfect and nothing was supposed to happen to me. Yes. So I had to step outside myself. And instead of thinking about myself, I had to think about the woman who was screaming and say how scared she must be or how much pain she must be in in order for her to be responding that way. Instead of me reacting in a way where I was feeling taken advantage of, put upon. They, they x-rayed my lungs and the, a pulmonary specialist came. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, you have COVID double pneumonia. They were actually thinking of sending me home and they found a room for me. They put me in this amazing room. But the point of that story is that I had to tell myself that that was my path. For whatever reason, you know, you can't choose your path. You, you can't only believe in certain principles when, when it feels like your life is going perfectly, it's when it feels like nothing is going right. That's when it's really important to believe in those principles. So I had to tell myself that for whatever reason, this was my path. I had to go through this the same way I had to go through other uncomfortable things in my life and that it's going to work out, maybe not the way I want, but the way it's supposed to. And all I can do is take the action. I can't control the results. I can advocate for myself which is what I had to do because you're in isolation when you're there. So my family couldn't be there to help me. So I had to advocate the same I did when I had the heart attack. I laid in the emergency room for nine hours and they put me against the wall and a nurse gave me a button. She said, if you need, of course, the button didn't work. So I'm laying there and I'm pressing a button and no one's coming. And I had to yell out to people, can you please help me? And if I didn't have a strong spiritual connection, I would have been too embarrassed to do that, to to advocate for myself. But 
my spiritual connection has given me confidence as well. Besides the fact that I cured myself of stuttering, that gave me great confidence. Go, being able to go out on the stage gave me great confidence. Being a doctor for so many years and having people trust me gave me great confidence. And even though sometimes I don't feel it, other people tell me that they can feel that from me, that, that confidence is palpable. If you're, if you're dealing with somebody and they're not confident, you can tell. I knew I couldn't be a stuttering doctor and have people feel confident because no one looks at a person who's stuttering and says, what a calm, confident man. Right. So it gives off the appearance of being nervous. Nervous. So, and then on top of it, they even then they can bully you and say that you lack intelligence and all that stuff. I mean, look exactly. how much Biden has been made fun of. It, well, it all goes together. And so so I had to reject all those things. And so to me, owning your power is one of the most important things that you can do as a, as a human being. And so, again, but star therapy. So when people are emotionally ill, they're holding on to these thoughts that are not valid for them. And you have to replace them with new thoughts. And very often the new thoughts are spiritual wisdom. So when you ask for tips, one of the most powerful that I tell people is, okay, you have goals and you try to achieve them. And if you're trying to get something, but it's not working for you, you don't think of yourself as the ultimate victim of the universe, that everybody gets stuff and you don't. The thought that you have to keep is, well, I'm not supposed to have this. I'm supposed to have something better than that. And if I got what I thought I wanted, I wouldn't be available for the really good thing that's coming to me. But I have to have patience because it's up to the universe when I get what I want. It's not up to me. As human beings, we lack patience. Mm -hmm. way. And we're also so used to looking our, over our shoulders at what everybody else has got going on, right? right. Instead well, of the problem with social media. That's why mm -hmm. social media makes so many people depressed. depressed. Everybody is putting up the best part of their lives. Yes. And then it makes other people feel like they have nothing. Right. And you have to be cautious of giving power, like you said, to compliments and to negativity. You know what I mean? It's really about what you believe in yourself and what you know to be true about yourself. You have a new inspirational book coming out right now. It's the third in your happiness series. And when we close up the podcast, everybody, we're going to talk about the happiness series. It's called Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. In 1999, I think you started collecting real life stories of people who have overcome unbelievable difficulties and went on to achieve success or achieve, you know, happiness in their yeah. lives. And so while you were recovering from your COVID and double pneumonia, you started to put this together. And to me, it also connects to your television show and your interviewing of comedians, right? Because their stories, generally speaking, I mean, we've seen the movies, we've lost Robin Williams. So, you know, a lot of comedians suffer from depression, suffer from lacking confidence. It's crazy. So can you talk about a little bit about your TV show and your it's really a it's a digital youtube show but yeah, it's a youtube channel it's a youtube channel that i, mean, I started it's modern television <laughs> and the started, new book it started as a zine you know i was covering the comedy scene for more than 20 years and you know i like to support people yes. and i admire everybody that goes on stage i respect them and it's always been a philosophy of mine i hate critics I hate people who criticize what you do. People, they're critics of the movies, they're critics of shows and all. Meanwhile, I don't think they've ever performed themselves. It's a very difficult thing. 
So I've never written anything bad about somebody. If somebody does a bad show, I just don't write about it. I leave right. it at. Right. But I, I like to support people because artistic people need support. Sensitive people need support. We need to be reaffirmed because we tend to doubt ourselves. Yeah. Sensitive people always doubt themselves. There's this uh, imposter uh, syndrome where you start to think, and, and people who are very successful have had this, that if people really knew me, they wouldn't be as responsive to me. They wouldn't like me as much if they really knew me. And it's a real thing. I didn't make that up. It's in psychology books. And, and so, so, uh, so I started covering the comedy scene as a zine. Someone asked me to do that. They said, hey, you know a lot of people in comedy. Why don't you write this thing? So I came up with the, with the Comedy Matters, it was called. But and it started in 1999 and it went from one zine to another. And then somebody said to me, I started getting invited to comedy festivals. Now, I've been going to the Just for Laughs Festival is the biggest comedy festival in the world. Every year in July in Montreal, they tell me that I'm coming the longest. The, the last <laughs> time we had it in 2019, I brought my VIP pass from 1992 and it, it, it's actually on a string. They didn't even have professional lanyards in those days. So <laughs> this year is their 40th year. And they're actually considering showing that documentary because a lot of it was shot at the Just for Laughs Festival. Um, I cover red carpets yeah. and I get to talk to all the big stars that fortunately I'm very lucky. They're friends of mine. Yeah. And I just want to say quickly that you understand my story because you're one of the few people who have such an eclectic background as well. You do like a million things also. So you know what it's like. So I get to cover, you know, Kevin Hart and D.L. Hughley and uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, who have been two of my best friends and who have, just put me out there. You know, they had me open their Broadway show for them, the Oh Hello show, you know, and they made me a jacket. I wish I had it here to show you, you know, Curtis Sliwa and the Guardian Angels. He recently ran for mayor. Of course. So he and I have been friends for 30 years. I was his dentist. I was the dentist for, for the Guardian Angels and the Hells Angels, the president of the Hells Angels. I used to hope they you didn't keep meet it balanced. Room. Yeah, I didn't want them to meet in the waiting room. It would have been crazy. <laughs> So I get a chance to meet all these people. They made me a jacket, an exact replica of the Guardian Angels jacket. But mine says Gurian Angels. And they, they had me wear it to the opening of their Broadway show. And we and I'm the first guy they pranked with too much tuna. It's such a silly I love set. that. He has a short documentary about him and hopefully we'll get longer. COVID got in the way of some of uh, making it longer, but. I love that because I, I'm a Gurian angel. You know, <laughs> I, you you put your arms around me. And I, I think that that's incredible because you have worked around the biggest stars in comedy since the 80s. And the film really takes a deep dive into that pursuit and tells your story on a very intimate level. And I love it because the name of it is Who the Fuck is Jeffrey? Is, it's your name, right? Who the Fuck is Jeffrey Gurian is the name of the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. It was so, a perfect I mean, this title, is like, and I didn't know if I could say that on your podcast. Oh, but, my yeah. God, honey, you know me better than that. You know that swearing is always welcome. <laughs> Although oh, I try to tame it myself because I have children who now swear perfectly. Yeah. I recently <laughs> had to show it to a rabbi, and I had to apologize for the title before I said, please don't be offended by the title. But he, he was a very cool rabbi, and he liked it. He it's perfect. It was it's perfect. It just happened that way. Mark Marin and John Mulaney both said that thing when, you know, 
facing the industry. Mark Maron said it. And then John Mulaney was addressing the entire comedy industry of Just for Laughs. When he said that joke, he said, like, you know, someday I want to be walking through a hotel and I'm going to see this picture. And the picture is by Andy Kindler. And the one who took it is Jeffrey Gurian. And if you don't know who that is, <laughs> if you see somebody, you say, who the fuck is that? That's Jeffrey Gurian. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, coming out of you guys, the likes of, you know, we talked about a few like, you know, Chris Rock and writing comedy for Arnold Schwarzenegger and obviously for like Joan Rivers, rest in peace. And um, so many, so many co comedians. And this movie, I love it so much because it, what I love the most about it is obviously I love to see you and see your, your, your life and your history, but there's so many people behind the scenes. There's so many people we, we, we know so few, but there's so many people that make that magic work for the people that take the stage and you did it for so many years. And I just have to say like really breaking down barriers of fear. I mean, think about it, you guys, from the stuttering to being bullied in college to, you know, all of these things. I think that it's just incredible to growing up and glowing up and be like, I'm going to wear my hair like I want to. And style is important to me. And I'm going to walk in a room and people are going to know who I am. And not only is that because of first, yes, you may attract attention, but then you're like a magnet. You, and, I, and I have to say that because Jeffrey works really hard at changing his mind. The way I go through life is that I love everyone until they teach me not to. Right. You know, That's I right. come into it. I embrace. I'm a hugger, you know. Yes. I just do that. It's natural for me. And, you know, it's the, it's the simplest form of healing. And I always tell people that if you want to if you want to experience healing energy, if you've ever been upset and someone that you trust gives you a hug and you accept it and you feel better, it's because you allowed them to transfer positive energy to you. Mm -hmm. We can all do that. You, you can do that for strangers, too. And I used to do that in practice and I would make people feel comfortable. That was my goal always was to make people feel comfortable and take them out of pain. And so I always say, you know, I, my goal has always been to put positive energy out to the universe and so I started writing these books on happiness because I realized that from a spiritual point of view, we're all given obstacles to overcome. Things happen in your life that you couldn't possibly expect. And I've always been fascinated by people, you know, who take lemons, they say, and make lemonade out of it, you know, who take a negative and turn it into a positive. So the examples from my own life were minimal compared to the people that I wrote about in facing adversity stories of courage and inspiration. That's the newest book. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. Perfect. So far, My timing is perfect. Yeah, your timing you is get perfect. everything. Okay, yeah, and it's, got, it's got all five star reviews so far. And I wrote it again because these last two years, so many people have lost hope. Everybody's confused. We don't know if we're getting the truth. We don't know what's happening. There's a lot of fear. There's you anger, know, so much anger with yeah, things anger saying they're going to change, but nothing really changes. And just so much stress. And so many people are overwhelmed. You know, we're all more sensitive than we want to admit. People have a very deep sensitivity, some more than others. I'm an empath. I feel what you feel. There was a time in my life, if I was with you and you were sad, I was sadder for you than you were. Right. Which is why on that night when you... You gave me the gift of being able to be there for you. That was very important to me. I felt your pain. I felt your discomfort. 
I have no choice in that matter. If you're an empath, that's what you go through. You feel what someone else feels. And, and I have a lot of stories about that too. But, but again, it helps you to be more compassionate to people. So I realized that I wanted to start, my first five books were about comedy. Everything was about comedy. And then I realized, okay, comedy is helpful, but I want to write books about thought that could help people to overcome things that they're facing because thought is so powerful. And once you engage in self-pity, which is one of the worst things that you, that you can do. Anytime that I ever did that, the universe put some unfortunate person in front of me to make myself feel grateful that I'm not in that situation. And then I asked myself, why do I need that? Why can't I just feel grateful on my own? I have a very long gratitude list. And I, and I recommend that to people, to make your own gratitude list, to write down the things that you may take for granted that other people don't have. Right. You have all your senses. If you can see, if you can walk okay, right. if all your limbs function, don't take that for granted. A lot right. of people don't have that. I have a very long list. All the things that I thought I would never have. When I was growing up, I had such a negative thought process. I thought I would never be successful. I would never be married. I would never have children. I would never even have my own apartment. I have the most wonderful daughters. I have, I have a big extended family. I'm friends with my ex-wife and her husband because of the principles that I try to live by. I, I have a very big extended family. We see each other. We all celebrate holidays together. And the only reason that that's possible is because of these principles that I try to incorporate in my life. Because you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. Yes, and we oftentimes, it's such a perfect segue and example to the fact that when we look for the negative and we forget about the positive, that's all we see. All we see is the negative things that are happening, but we literally train our brains because the brain is a muscle. So if you condition it to think and see the negative, that's what it sees. But you've got to condition it to see the positive, see the beauty. And I love that you say this because you've got to be careful. I work on this myself all the time of playing the victim. Be careful, be cautious of putting yourself in that role because it yes. gives power. It gives it power. Yeah. When in fact, it doesn't have it. It's just life. Life is full of hard knocks. And that would, that helps us to evolve, to grow, to gain awareness, wisdom. All of this, it has to happen. Well, look, it was one of the most painful events in my life, but I'll tell you something interesting that my ex-wife went on to remarry and she adopted two children and had one of her own. And those two children needed to be adopted and that little girl needed to be born. And that couldn't have happened had I still been there. So in retrospect, you can see why certain things happen in your life. At the time it's happening, there's a lot of pain involved. But again, we've evolved to the point where we never wanted it to be uncomfortable for our children. So we maintained what I consider to be a high level of communication and respect for each other. She's the mother of my children. I, I might never have had children, or I certainly wouldn't have had those children if it wasn't for her DNA, you know? And that's what I tell people when I see these divorces that are so hateful and so angry. If you have children and you love your children, they wouldn't be those children if it wasn't for that other person's DNA. They had to be part of that. And not everyone is meant to be in your life forever. Some people are only meant to be in your life for a certain amount of time. Again, those are what I call spiritual principles. 
And if you can incorporate them into your life, it, it makes your thinking easier. It makes your life simpler, that you're not caught up in resentment. You know what they say, resentment is like you taking poison, expecting the other person to die. You know? <laughs> exactly. right? and you have I resentment. Love resentment is like taking poison, like you expecting taking- the other person to die. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like I say in my act, the headbutt. I don't understand the headbutt. The headbutt is like shooting yourself, hoping to get the guy behind you. you know I mean? <laughs> it's like, why would you, who would give someone a headbutt? It makes no sense. And, and so resentment, so many people are living in the past and they're worrying about the future and they're losing the now. They're not in the moment. And it's very important to learn to stay in the moment and appreciate the moment that you're in. Our reality, Heather, right now is you and I are talking to each other. That's all that's going on in the whole world. This is it for us. This is our reality right now. What happened this morning doesn't matter. It's gone. And who knows about tomorrow? It doesn't matter. This is what's important right now. So I'm totally focused on you and this amazing experience of being here with you on your podcast. So exciting. And I'm not thinking about other stuff. I've learned you... You said it a little bit earlier, changing your mind. And that's exactly the title of that book, Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. Do you know how hard it is to get a dog to meditate in lotus position? I know the cover <laughs> of the book is a dog in meditate. Well, this it's is a perfect easy. segue. It's so Jeffrey, tell tell people who may not already follow you or know you for all the incredible work that you do. Can you tell people where they can find your happiness series, the, the three books on happiness, maybe some of your lectures, anything that they can get some Jeffrey Grain because everybody needs it. Oh, that's so kind of you. Well, my website where they can sign up and if they if they sign up for my mailing list on my website, they'll get a free gift of the early chapters of this book of Healing Your Heart. So my website is ComedyMattersTV.com. And there's a lot. It's mostly all comedy. But under the about column, there's there's a spirituality and healing cures for headaches, cure for stuttering. I have. Uh, so, again, that's ComedyMattersTV.com. On Instagram, I'm at Jeffrey Gurian. I always give out my email because I encourage people to write if they have questions, jeffrey at jeffreygurian.com. And on Amazon, all three books are available. The newest one, as I said, is Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. It's true stories of people that I admire, courageous people, amazing stories of people who will overcome incredible stuff. And people need hope and inspiration these days. And that's why I wrote them. So they're all available on Amazon. If you just put my name in, Jeffrey Gurian, come up on Amazon. And I hope that people will read them and be inspired. My website is ComedyMattersTV.com. On Instagram, it's at Jeffrey Gurian. On YouTube, it's YouTube.com slash ComedyMattersTV. And there's more than 500 interviews with every big comedy star you can imagine from Jimmy Fallon on down. If anyone wants to know about stuttering, it's StopStutteringNowGurian.com, G-U-R-I-A-N, StopStutteringNowGurian.com. The first one is called Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, A Spiritual and Humorous Approach to Achieving Happiness, okay? And a doctor just contacted me who said it helped her to get through her heart surgery, and she has me on a show, a health a women's network health show that I'm doing next week because of this book. 
Uh, the, the second book in the happiness series was called Fight the Fear, yeah. Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. And that has a lot of cool stories in it, too. And this is the newest book, Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration, all available on Amazon in the happiness series. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you make me so happy. I am so excited to speak with you and be back in touch after the virus. And I'm so glad that you're in good health and you've got so much love to share and so much love to give. Believe people if they're not right for you, let your intuition kick in. Doesn't have to be dramatic. Just keep it moving. So I love you so much, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. This is Heather Thompson. I'm your host. Please don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast. We're going to be here next week for another episode. We love you so much, Jeffrey. Thanks for spreading all the happy happiness and love that you do. Thanks so much for having me on. You're the best. You know what they say? It takes one to know one, Heather. <laughs> We're kindred spirits. I love it. Thank you we so much. We always have been. And I'm going to be calling you for lunch soon because I need that hug. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>